Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. In the midst of all the bad news you're going to hear today, I want to give you, I want to start off the day and the week with some very, very good news. Um, Christ is Lord. He is on the throne. Things are not out of God's control. Nothing about what is happening today surprises the Father uh, in heaven, and he has you in the very hollow of his hand. So um, that's a good place to be. In fact, there's no better place to be. No matter what other circumstances you've got going on today, uh, being in the very hollow of God's hand, uh, having your name written there. Um, there's just, there's no more secure place to be. So I want to tell you a quick story uh, about something that happened on Saturday. I'm just grateful to God for the church, having the opportunity to be the church, and for at least one guy that I am aware of catching a glimpse of the church being the church in the world in the way that uh, that really does honor Jesus. And so we have talked about John chapter 17 and the reality that Jesus prays for us, that we would love one another in such a way that the world would actually see that and and know that we belong to him. Uh, and so um, you're aware that where I live, there was a massive uh, series of tornadoes last week. Many people lost their lives. Many, many more people lost their homes. And beyond that, many, 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 many more people have de- devastating impacts to their to their uh, to their property, and so I have a friend whose name is Jen. She's a single mom. Um, her home is fine. She and her son are fine, but she lost dozens of trees um, on her uh, little three-acre um, piece of property in uh, in Hermitage, Tennessee. And so on Saturday, about forty people from our church descended. I mean, you know, by invitation, but we descended upon Jen's uh, property, and we started sort of at the very edge of the road and uh, worked our way back. Um, and over the period of time, you know, her, her yard began to reappear and these giant broken pieces of trees and other debris was all hauled to the edge of the road. And what started out as just a very small uh, pile of twigs near the near the ditch at the front of the house where all of the power lines were lying and those kinds of things. Um, eventually, it just, it grew and it grew and it grew. And the and the brush pile, I mean, brush, I mean, you know, it was, it was enormous. Uh, we had guys with chainsaws. We had lots of teenagers dragging brush. We had one guy with a skid steer doing the heavy lifting, pushing out the stumps. And so this pile at the front of the property grew and grew and grew um, to, you know, the size that's going to fill several dump trucks when the city actually gets there to pick everything up. So um, late in the day, the insurance adjuster stopped by. Now, he'd been there earlier in the week, and he had, you know, assured her that you know, they were going to be there to help. And so he came back on Saturday, and his jaw literally dropped. Um, he'd come back to actually give her the bad news that the majority of the damage was not going to be covered by her policy. Um, nothing hit her house. And so her insurance was only going to cover very, very few things. But as God would have it, those very, very few things were the things that our crew was not able to do. And so um, this guy, Bob walked up the long drive and his 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 jaw was literally i mean he he almost he was stunned 
And uh, he said, who are all these people? And I said, well, Jen's part of our church, and this is our church family. He was clearly moved. And he said, everywhere I've been today, everywhere I've been today, there have been people from churches everywhere. And I just looked at him and I said, you know, that's what we do. That's who we are. Um, He spent some time with Jen, talking with her, and then um, he left. And he wasn't there very long. But in those 20 minutes, he got a glimpse of the gospel. Um, Not only in deed, he certainly got a glimpse in deed, but because Jen took the opportunity in their one-on-one conversation to talk about um, this is what Christ people do for one another. This is my family. Um, And to talk about the way grace covers us. Um, in ways that insurance doesn't. Um, He got the gospel. And so I just want to encourage you today. Things might look tornadic. They might, you might feel like you're in the midst of a horrendous storm. There might be a debris field all over your life. Um, Your church family wants to help, but they need to know that you have a need. And so I want to encourage you to reach out to your church family today, if you have that kind of need, if you're in the midst of that kind of storm, if there is devastation, if there's debris everywhere, um, let your church family help because it is our opportunity to bear positive witness to the world that we do love one another in unique ways. Um, one guy who is not hiding his light under a basket, but letting it shine forth in order that God might be glorified is Nick Hall. Uh, he and I are going to talk next about a number of things, uh, not least of which is the year of the Bible. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Joining me now is Nick Hall. Uh, You might know him from Pulse in... The Twin Cities, you might know him um, from efforts across a number of years. Uh, Together 2020 is an effort he is actively engaged in. He's also engaged in the Year of the Bible, which is a multi-generational, multi-denominational, multi-racial effort to actually have a, a generation fall in love with the Bible in the ways in which many of us already love it. So, Nick, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Hey, Carmen. Good morning. Glad to be here. So let's um, let's remind people about Pulse. Um, what is Pulse? And then I want to talk about the year of the Bible. Yeah, Pulse is a uh, really next-gen launched movement, um, prayer and evangelism. I mean, we just started on a college campus, and uh, we put on large-scale campaigns uh, trying to reach this generation, uh, trained under Billy Graham. Uh, and so we're trying to carry the torch. So... We want to see uh, stadiums filled uh, on college campuses and uh, citywide campaigns. And we really just have this uh, committed heart to see a generation know Jesus, follow Jesus. So prayer, evangelism, discipleship, that's kind of things we work on. But we have uh, offices in four or five cities and uh, some international as well in Kiev, Ukraine, but uh, about 50, 55 people work with us full time. And yeah, we're growing and uh, just trying to go after it. All right. So I love that. Um, you know, I am uh, I, I am with you in all of the ways that um, that matter most in this. I have a uh, I have a moment in time when um, I first encountered you in terms of your leadership and you were up front at a uh, a together leadership event. This is a number of years back. 
Um, and I knew that uh, things were different because the event started like at 10 o'clock at night. And that was way past my bedtime. And um, and you were intending to lead us in an effort and initiative related to prayer that God would draw together leadership across the country for this together movement. And I was thinking to myself, I'm so grateful. I'm so thankful that God has touched the hearts of people who are younger than me who um, have this passion and this energy. And you had us uh, you had us like draw a, an invisible kind of circle around ourselves and get down on our knees. And you led us in a in a very, very powerful time of uh, of intentional prayer. And um, and so I just want to say, you know, thank you for your leadership over over a number of years and your continuing commitment to raise up the name of Jesus with a new generation, um, because there are those of us, you know, who feel like it, it would have to skip a generation at this point. Like, I feel like I can talk to six-year-olds, but I'm having a really hard time talking to 26-year-olds, right? So there's a there's this middle group of people in there who um, I'm so glad you are having such effectiveness with and just genuinely appreciate that. Nick, tell us about the Year of the Bible. Yeah, Year of the Bible is this, uh, I mean, it's it's really a God-birthed initiative, um, but I mean, the, the simple message of it is, I mean, we want people to fall in love with the Bible. Uh, we'll describe it as the year of the Bible is the year in your life when the Bible becomes foundational for every other part of your life. And so 2020, there's a ton of groups that have declared and are declaring that from January to December, we are going to promote and uh, make as much noise as possible for Scripture, for God's Word, for the Bible. Um, but, you know, the, the hope of it is not that there would be this year where we're like, oh, I tried that. But the hope of it is that this is a foundational thing that changes everything. And and so, you know, as an evangelist, um, which is where I would see kind of my calling in the body of Christ, uh, I've just found for so long I, I try to motivate people to share their faith, to to lead others to Christ. And, uh, and the number one obstacle from people uh, sharing their faith is the fact that they're not super engaged in their faith themselves and specifically not in the Bible. They're not reading it. They're not spending time in it. And so we just are trying to help people fall in love, you know, with the word of God and uh, not devotional content, not uh, somebody's uh, words about the Bible. But this is just God speaking for himself. And uh, and so it's an incredible campaign. We're trying to get people to declare their year of the Bible and uh, share on social media with a hashtag year of the Bible. We're giving them tools to engage. There's a lot of things going on, Carmen. All right. So we're going to check out yearofthebible.com while Nick and I take a very, very brief break. I am talking with Nick Hall again. Uh, we want you to check out yearofthebible.com. We'll be right back. So I'm talking with Nick Hall. Uh, Among other things, he is the CEO of the Table Coalition. He sits on the board of the National Association of Evangelicals. He started a movement called Pulse, uh, a ministry that is at the center of the largest millennial-led prayer and outreach effort in the world. Um, He is the visionary of the Together Movement. He's the author of Reset. Um, And we are talking today specifically about the Year of the Bible, and we want you to check it out at yearofthebible.com. Nick, I'm being um, I'm being chastised by a number of our listeners who uh, have been praying with me and 
lots of other people for your family related to the loss of Jenny, and they they're really having a hard time believing that I didn't start there. Um, and so um, I was intending to end there, but um, I'm going to say it right here in the middle so my listeners know that I'm sensitive to their sensitivity uh, to you, their concern for you. Um, people want you to know that um, we continue to uphold you and your family um, in this very, very difficult time. Yeah, thank you so much, Carmen. It has been a uh, has been a really uh, a hard hard season. One of those why uh, seasons where you just don't have all the answers. Um, but man, we are very thankful for all the people who have been continue to pray for for me and my family, my parents, my brother, and uh, yeah, we miss Jenny dearly. Um, but you know, it's uh, it's interesting in the midst of this uh, this year of the Bible initiative we've been doing. I've I've really felt um, you know that that we've we've taught a generation um, and in my generation and and maybe it was before me I don't know but I I just feel like we've taught a generation how to love good worship music and we've taught a generation how to love good preaching uh, and speaking you know men and women who who share from a stage. Um, but we haven't taught them how to love the Bible for themselves. And, um, and so like, there's this whole generation that like we have been, uh, we we've gone to classes and youth group and, and we've learned all these things, but like, we haven't learned how to love the word. And in the midst of this crisis that, that my family has been going through, you know, some of you don't know who's listening six months ago, my older sister was diagnosed with uh, pancreatic cancer, 39 years old, healthy, uh, you know, beautiful, amazing girl. And, uh, you know, the last six months have just been hell. It's just been absolute hell. I mean, she's been in pain. She was in pain every day. Uh, my parents, I mean, we went on a virtual, uh, cancer tour of America as a family, um, just trying to rescue her, went to Houston, went to Rochester, Minnesota, Mayo, went to Phoenix, Mayo, and uh, just doing everything possible and just watching her just get obliterated. I mean, she, she was tiny to begin with. She lost 50 pounds. And uh, and it's just one of these things. And, and I've just kind of thought, man, if my if our, if our faith was based on worship and uh, singing, it'd be like it'd be done. Or if it was based on a preacher, it'd be done. Or, or if it was based on miracles. Right. Like we'd be an atheist right now, even though I know that God has committed the greatest miracle of all by bringing Jenny home and taking the pain away. But it's like if our faith wasn't grounded in the word of God and specifically Jenny, uh, just loving the word and the truth of the word and the power of the word. And and uh, and so for me, she's just kind of become this this example of this initiative of just this is why like we need the anchor of the word of God in our lives. We need to fall in love with it again and uh, but man, for everybody who's been praying with us, it, it means the world. And, and Carmen, thank you. I know you've been praying and uh, and it's all been very felt. Once you know you're loved, our brother, um, you work you work hard on behalf of um, the advancement of the kingdom in this generation. And um, I want you to know you're you're not alone in it in the moments when maybe it seems like you are. Talk with us about um, the year of the Bible, the rallies. Um, the Let It Speak events, um, the event that's kind of come up in uh, in just I mean, it's not June 20th, it's not that far away at the Lincoln Memorial. Share with folks just some of those opportunities, thinking a sense of a little bit of a, a taste of what they might get when they visit yearofthebible.com. Yeah, 
Yeah. So Year of the Bible, again, has these steps we're trying to encourage people through. Uh, number one, again, is declare. Like we want people to share. Like we, we believe this isn't something you do alone. Getting in the Word shouldn't be just this personal thing. It should be something you're doing. Like there should be accountability. There should be community. We're hoping that at churches, people are reading the Bible more, like on Sunday mornings, like we're trying to up up the number of verses right on a Sunday, like just that that Sunday would be a time when we're hearing a lot of Bible. Uh, number two is to engage. Uh, and on yearofthebible.com, there's a bunch of uh, tools and resources, partners. Like there has never been a better time. Uh, there's so many incredible resources out there, Carmen, for you and for me and for teenagers and children and grandparents, whatever, but just to understand what we're reading and to love it. Like I'm right now in love with Leviticus, which I never thought I would say in my whole life, you know, and, uh, you know, just because of some Bible project videos and some spoken gospel uh, curriculum that I'm, I'm doing alongside it. Uh, but yeah, you mentioned gathering. So we are challenging and encouraging people um, to have rallies around the Bible. And so this will happen at the Lincoln Memorial. I'll share about that in a second. But we're also having leaders gather. So last week we had a gathering in Minneapolis and a gathering in Washington, D.C. And these will be happening from coast to coast where pastors and ministry leaders can rally and come together and uh, just to celebrate the Bible. The purpose is to inspiration education and resourcing. So uh, we want to inspire the local church to get back to the Word of God. We want to educate on the needs and some of the stats of like, I mean, it's 20 to 30 percent of people in our churches are regularly engaged in the Bible. I mean, it's it's staggering, and but also super telling, uh, like why, uh, why we're not sharing our faith, why generosity might be a struggle, why we get judgmental at times, and it's like we are not rooted in God's voice for us. And so, like, we're trying to rally and see a Bible revival in our day. Um, and, and so these gatherings are happening uh, all over. You can host one, you can organize one, uh, or you can join one. And then uh, together, uh, 2020 is going to be kind of the um, you know epicenter, if you will, a globally simulcast event. Uh, from the steps of the Lincoln Memorial, we're calling it a living tribute to the Bible, which is the most influential book in history. And so this is going to be art, music and culture. But there will be, you know, three hours during this day of just the public reading of Scripture, um, not us uh, adding to the word of God, but just us, man, just sitting under its authority uh, I've been reading in uh, Kings, Second Kings, uh, King Josiah. You know when the book of the law is lost, and and what does he do when he, it's found? They gather everybody together, and they gather him at the capital. They gather him, and they just literally he just reads the book of the law, and they all just commit to it as a nation. And uh, and that's what I've been praying for is just that this would be a celebration of the word. And so we're going to have artists and speakers, you know, Hillsong, Young and Free and Lecrae and uh, man, a ton of people are going to be there. Kirk Franklin, um, a lot of great men and women of God, preachers. You can find all that at yearofthebible.com and togethergeneration.com. Nick, um, thank you. You guys can also follow Nick uh, on all of the social medias. He is 
Nick Hall Pulse on Instagram, uh, Nick Hall on Twitter, Nick Hall Pulse on Facebook. Right? Do I have him? Do I have him about right? Yeah, Pretty that's close. good. Yeah, he's not hard to find. He's easy to find, and he's really fun to follow. And he's the great pictures. So if you're visually oriented, great stuff there too. Um, Nick, we're going to continue to pray with you and for you. Um, may God bless this effort to lift up His Word not only in uh, in this nation but among a new generation of Christ followers. We're uh, we're thrilled to be with you in it. Thank you, my brother. Thank you, Carmen. We'll talk again soon. We'll be right back. Okay, so you uh, you might want to know what happened last week when the Supreme Court heard arguments related to an abortion. Uh, I don't know. We're calling it abortion rights. Oh, that doesn't sound right. Uh, we're talking about a life, a pro-life effort in Louisiana to save babies. Okay. Um, and, uh, and the Supreme Court is hearing oral or heard oral arguments related to that case. Um, and next up, I'm going to be uh, I'm going to be talking with Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College about that. We're also going to talk about the politics of the coronavirus. So um, a little more a little more conversation next about not only what's happening, but sort of what how it influences the political conversations of our day as Christians. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. I once heard my friend Jim Burns say, listening is the language of love. I couldn't agree more. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. If you have a teen who's struggling, it's likely you've given him some advice or even explained the right direction to go. But if he's like the teens I've met, he isn't really paying attention to you. Am I describing your son or daughter? Mom, Dad, I know you have good intentions, but you need to figure out how to communicate your love in a different way. Love your team by listening. It won't be easy, and you may hear some things that you don't like, but by sitting down and opening your ears, you'll say more to your son or daughter than you ever dreamed. Want more parenting help from Mark Gregston? Find encouragement through articles, books, and more at ParentingTodaysTeens.org. Again, ParentingTodaysTeens.org. Joining me now, Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College. Good morning, sir. On this day, we had one hour less to sleep. Yes, good morning. I hope everyone's got a strong uh, caffeinated beverage on hand. I certainly do. It was actually strangely more difficult to get up today. Yeah, well, it takes time. I was actually reading an article about how it's actually bad for your health to have the switch in time because your body has a rhythm. Uh, that rhythm uh, gets settled in. It's part of, of of a healthy version of you, and then this just throws it all off. Yeah, I, I completely 100% believe that. Okay, so um, Adam, tell us what happened last week in oral arguments related to this, what I will describe as pro-life case before the Supreme Court. Yes, uh, uh, the June Medical Services uh, 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 arguments and, and what oral arguments are is is basically the court gives lawyers for each side about a half hour each to argue their case before they finally decide, you know, make their vote and start writing their opinions. And this is a law in Louisiana that requires uh, abortion providers to have 
admitting privileges to hospitals within about 30 miles of where they are providing those services. And this law was challenged. It's actually very similar. If, if some uh, uh, some of the listeners, I'm sure, are very uh, follow the pro-life movement closely or is very much like a law that was in Texas a few years ago with that the court struck down. Uh, however, this law, uh, the question is, is it uh, different than the Texas law because of the situation of Louisiana's health care versus Texas's? Or, and is it different because we now have two new justices on the court, Justices Gorsuch and Kavanaugh? And a lot of people are watching this. Obviously, it's very important in and of itself for the health of women, for uh, the state of the pro-life movement. But a lot of people are also asking, is this uh, something where we could see a signaling of is the court going to be more open than it's been to pro-life legislation and upholding it in the future and even possibly a re-looking at Roe v. Wade? So that's partly why so many people are, are, are so deeply interested in this case. And they're looking for the tea leaves. There hasn't been a case with Gorsuch and Kavanaugh about abortion yet. And this is going to be the first test case for that. Okay, so if that's what we might have been hoping to see, um, what in fact happened in terms of any signals given during oral arguments um, in in terms of any hope we might have for any kind of radical transformation of um, of laws related to abortion in this country? At least as far as a radical transformation on this case, uh, there wasn't much evidence of it. If you, I, I listened to the oral arguments. They were released on Friday, and Justices uh, uh, Gorsuch or not Gorsuch didn't actually ask a question. Justices Kavanaugh and Chief Justice Roberts mainly focused on how is the healthcare system of Louisiana different than Texas's, and therefore could you up, uh, maintain the 2016 Texas case? Uh, and still uphold this uh, Louisiana case. In other words, you know, uphold the the striking down of Texas, but uphold Louisiana on the basis that they're just different. That that the situations of the states are different. But in that case, you would uphold one law, but you wouldn't move the needle in a fundamental way uh, as far as the larger abortion question. Now, uh, uh, does that signal that nothing could happen in the future? No. Uh, it could be that these guys are worried about following uh, a more near-term precedent, but there's there weren't clear signals that you're – they weren't acting like they were inviting an overturning of Roe v. Wade next year uh, uh, for those who are wondering how radical this may move. It, it seemed like it might be at best some incremental changes in the pro-life direction. You know, for those of us, um, Adam, who don't listen or read a lot or any of what the Supreme Court does um, day to day, um, I will say that I did listen to a portion of um, these particular oral arguments. I was I was struck by, and so tell me as a, as a person who pays a whole lot more attention than I do, um, I was struck by how sort of noisy um, and even aggressive Justices Ginsburg, Sotomayor, even Justice Alito, I, I was a little surprised by how, um, I mean, I'll use the word aggressive, they were, and that, as you mentioned, Justice Gorsuch never asked a question, but neither did Justice Thomas. Does Is that normal? Is that sort of how this works? 
Uh, just as Thomas not asking a question is normal, he he's asked, I think, two in the last 15 years. And he's actually said the reason he does that is he thinks his colleagues are a little too aggressive, that they interrupt too much. They don't allow the lawyers to make their case. The first time I heard an oral argument, I thought, how does anyone ever stand up to a barrage of questions the way they do? As far as how aggressive they are, it, this is where I think you see that the justices are human beings because uh, it, it's not always that aggressive, at least as far emotional. There seem to be some emotion emotion That's in some of these word. questions that was because, a word. Uh, yeah. because they're emotional. always they – yeah, they can always be aggressive. They're lawyers. They 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 did have done this for a living, going after witnesses. But they're they're certainly with, and I think you peg the right people. Some people that I you know are emotionally invested in this. And as much as the judges try to, and I think they rightly try to separate their views from what the law says uh, on something this fundamental to what you think of humanity. Uh, I, I have trouble blaming them for 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 getting caught up in that a little bit, as much as I know many of them are trying to, to, to still just apply the laws that is written. But no, this is a high stakes emotional game. And if you ever had a, a challenge to Roe v. Wade, I would be very interested in how controlled the lawyers would or the judges would be as they were doing those kinds of questioning. Yeah, I felt like you could really feel that. How about we take um well let's do let's do um this Obamacare case that is also in front of the Supreme Court. We can probably dispense with that in a couple of minutes before our break. Yes? Sure. Yeah, and it's great. it's down the road so we can preview it. All right, great. Give uh, us a preview of what's going on there. So so Obamacare is going to be in front of the Supreme Court yet again. And uh, just in time for election season, they're they're not going to decide it this year. They they took the case, saying we're going li- to we're we're going to decide it, but they said we're not going to hear the arguments for it till next fall. So it's going to be in part of the fall 2020 election. And basically, what happened is they're they're revisiting the individual mandate that requires you have to buy uh, health insurance or pay a uh, what was decided to be a tax by the Supreme Court back in 2012. Well, what happened is in in the uh, tax cut of 2017 uh, that was passed by Republicans and signed by President Trump, they zeroed out the penalty. Some people may have found that out. They said that if you don't uh, uh, get proper health insurance, uh, the penalty for that is zero dollars. And what the challenge is now is in 2012, uh, the court said it's a tax, so therefore it's constitutional. What do taxes have to do? Raise money. Well, now that the tax is zero, can you really call it a tax? And wouldn't that make the whole law unconstitutional? And so that's what it's really coming down to is would the court strike down the whole law as unconstitutional because this part of it is now uh, uh, no longer collecting money, which, of course, means issues like uh, pre-existing conditions, how long you can be on, you can have your children on your on your health insurance all of those things could be up for debate. Do we still want those? Would we be, want the court to strike them down as well? So, so that's going to make health care, if it already wasn't, a big issue in the fall based on what, we, what, what, what the public wants going forward for the health care law here. All right, I'm talking with Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College. Uh, he and I are going to take a very brief break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the politics of the coronavirus. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. I'm smelling coffee. Are singing just outside. Here comes your mercy streaming in with the morning light. 
Continuing my conversation with Dr. Adam Carrington, you can follow him on Twitter at Carrington AM. Um, let's talk about the politics of the of the coronavirus. I, I will say, Adam, for my part, um, I, I just I want to know what is accurate and I want to know what is going to keep people safe. And I don't really want any more politics related to this particular subject, but I'm probably not going to get that. Uh, probably not. We we live in a an environment where everything gets politicized, uh, where bipartisanship is mainly a mirror uh, attacking the other. So no, uh, th- there's certainly going to be a lot of politics here. Uh, obviously, the the focus should be on keeping people safe. Uh, you know, I'm going to be on an airplane later today, so I, I definitely hope they're keeping things safe uh, for that. Uh, but, but no, I, I what 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 I found interesting in the politics of this is um, that beyond all the attacks, uh, it seems that personality versus policy has caused a, a bit of a, a intellectual disruption among some people. So you would, you, I, I think, uh, uh, on the political right, um, you know, there's a lot of our arguments that we need, um, uh, you know, that we need more tight borders, that China is a massive rival, uh, that we need uh, 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 to uh, cut down on our connection with other countries because of bad things. And here you have a virus coming out of China being spread because of globalism uh, and because of the perceived, I think, uh, 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 damage to President Trump, uh, uh, there's not as much of uh, uh, playing that up as one might think. The opposite for, I think, the left. I think until recently, the left wasn't as uh, uh, making as big a deal of this as you think they would to take advantage of attacking President Trump for any reason because they didn't want uh, a, a narrative that may be contrary to, um, an, you know, a, a vibrant, uh, interconnected international community. So it, it, it's interesting, you know, beyond what we should be focusing on, obviously, which is people's health and safety, that, that that's kind of the way the politics has gotten a little muddy because of personality versus uh, uh, the policy questions. All right. See, your personality policy question made me want to jump stories, but I'm going to be disciplined and stick with this story Um, because I do think the personality and politics or policy story is one that seems to creep up almost everywhere right now. And so I'm going to put a pin in that. I'm going to be disciplined and stick with the politics of the coronavirus story here for just a minute. Um, As we hear about, let's say, self-quarantined members of Congress, congressional offices closing, um, you know, because they they know they have been exposed because there is uh, at least one individual that was at uh, an event last week um, at that many GOP um, senators and, and members of Congress um, participated in. When we see those kinds of things happening, I, I just feel like the influence on regular people who, let's say this was the week they had planned you know, this is the week they had planned to go to D.C. This was the week they were going to, you know, really talk with their member of Congress about the issue of greatest concern to them um, in their community or nationally, like whatever is going on. Talk with people just about how you can um, continue to make your voice heard in the political system um, without having to physically go to an event or have a face to face. If if during this next season, we're going to be sort of discouraged from face to face kinds of things. 
Right. And we, and we don't, and obviously we don't know how bad it could get. It could end up not being that bad at all still. Uh, uh, so, you know, I, I, I think caution, but not panic is, is, is in order, but, uh, obviously there's still, uh, uh, you can call your Congressman's office. Uh, you can, um, uh, write a, a letter. You can email them. Uh, there are all sorts of ways you can write a letter to the editor uh, of your local newspaper saying what you think of the of of of, of particular issues and 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 ideas. And I, I promise you, congressional offices read their local newspapers for those sorts of things. So there are a number of ways that remotely, uh, if you if you believe that. Uh, you shouldn't be uh, involved in these things right now. You shouldn't be in public places that you can still make your voice heard. I, I think that, um, you know, we, we, we criticize technology a lot and there's, there's reasons to criticize how it has uh, 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 unearthed parts of our depravity. But at the same time, uh, uh, these kinds of things make it so that if you're worried about your health, you can still engage in the political process in a, in a, in a way that uh, can make your voice heard. Yeah, I just really appreciate that. So you know, thank you for, for highlighting those. Um, what are some of the things coming up uh, that are sort of on your radar in terms of, of looking at this particular political season? If you want to comment on the state of the Democratic presidential race, I don't know, the flag that was raised at a Bernie rally. Well, anything that you might want to talk about here. Math. Sure. Uh, the, the, I, I, I have been quite amazed. I, I, was, I was quite confident that Bernie Sanders would uh, probably become the nominee after New Hampshire. Not because I thought he had a particularly wide base of support, but I had watched 2016 where there had been a pileup in the uh, not-Trump lane and that by the time that pileup was was uh, emptied, uh, <clears throat> the president had basically uh, secured the nomination. I thought the same would happen here. It's it's interesting the institutional uh, strength and the uh, still remaining decent connection between voters and the party that the Democratic Party still has, where they were able, you know, the establishment was able to consolidate around a not Bernie uh, Joe Biden. And uh, it, that doesn't mean that Biden's going to definitely win now, but he certainly has a leg up. And I, I think that shows uh, a certain uh, a difference right now between the Democratic and Republican parties in their health as an institution. I'm not saying who's a better party as far as their ideas, but as far as which one is able to actually act in, in a kind of independent fashion regarding their candidates. So I, that, that was a very interesting thing to me uh, uh, as far as a, a difference between this and 2016 that I actually didn't expect. And, and we'll see uh, uh, whether Biden, you know, uh, in some ways, Biden is the candidate for Democrats that no one loves, but almost no one hates, uh, whereas Bernie was a very exciting candidate uh, that a lot of people are also terrified by. So it, it's going to be interesting to see in future votes, do the Democrats continue to go in the direction they're going with Biden, or uh, do they go back to Sanders? Uh, and, and that's uh, 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 going to be very interesting for the, the way the race will play out in the fall. Uh, the other one thing I'll just mention quickly is uh, I think President Trump's big advantage over both of them is that the economy seems to be going well, and he seems to he is seen to have competently managed that. Uh, 
see what the stock market does this week in relate in reaction to the coronavirus. See what it does in relation to these oil wars that are have just started. Because uh, uh, if the economy tanks, I think that changes the state of the race too. So a lot of what the fall is going to look like is going to get set up in the next month or two, based on the economy and based on how the Democratic Party uh, plays out this primary process. Yeah, I think the economy is going to. Um be a major influence and the coronavirus is an influence upon that. So Adam, thank you so much. As always, that is Dr. Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College. You can find him on Twitter at Carrington AM. We'll be right back. All right. So um, did you have to do any math over the weekend? I just have one math comment here. Um, There were some folks uh, on television this week who believed a tweet instead of just pausing long enough to just do the math themselves. If somebody tells you that um, that a political candidate could afford to give everybody in America a million dollars, that would be just for the just simple math here. If there are 327 million Americans and you gave every one of them a dollar, that would be 327 million dollars. If you gave them a dollar and 50 cents, that would be roughly 500 million dollars. Um, which is half a billion, which is important. But if you gave every American a million dollars, um, that would be three hundred and twenty-seven trillion with a T R trillion uh, dollars. And so, don't let social media or, frankly, the regular media um, influence how you do your math. Right? Do your own math and show your own work today, if necessary. All right, that's going to be my walk-off encouragement today. If you don't know what I'm referring to, the news item is less important than um, the scrutiny you and I need to pay to social media and to that social media that's passed along by the regular media from time to time. Um, You know the truth. The truth sets us free. Let's be people of truth today. All right. uh, I got a whole nother hour up next of Mornings with Carmen. Thank you so much for being here for the first hour. For those of you just joining us because you slept in an hour. um, Yes, it is now an hour later than you thought it was. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.